0: Bobo Network is the bomb The cutting edge of geekdom Comics, advice, D&D
1: Movies, video games, RPGs
0: Finding it's easy, just stay calm episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by listeners like you. Thanks for using The Tome's Amazon and DM's Guild affiliate links.
2: Hi, I'm Ed Greenwood and you're listening to The Tome.
0: Welcome to The Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interview show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner.
3: And I'm your co-host, Tracy Hurley, and in this episode, number 264, we, well, we've well we been horribly cursed to walk this mist-covered podcasting land, never to escape while being haunted by the only being here, more doomed than us, internet trolls, as we review the adventure <laughs> Curse of Strahd.
0: And joining us for this episode is our intrepid senior editor, Sam Dillon. Welcome back, sir. Thank you. You have a standing invitation, as you know, for all things for all things that we do right if uh, so, only
1: i had time to do all of right? those right <laughs> so so when
0: i put the email out saying that we're doing curse of Strahd, sam was the first one to respond like me 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 so yeah. we, we, here he is <laughs> uh and after filling in for sam in the last episode of behind the dm screen which we just recorded like less than a week ago uh it only seemed fitting that he get the opportunity to go head-to-head with Sam. We welcome back to the show the original Canadian jester DM, David Gibson. Hello, everyone. And lastly, later in the episode, you will hear an interview with none other than DM to the stars and lead designer for this book, Chris Perkins.
3: We're going to be talking about the adventure Curse of Strahd. It's based on one of the old-school D&D adventures that's currently claimed to this day. Castle Ravenloft, written by Tracy and Laura Hickman, in an effort to make vampires cooler than just another random dungeon encounter. So, full disclosure, who did not pay for their book?
0: I did not pay for my book. And I'm the only one. Ha ha. (laughs) (laughs) But I like to be upfront about that. So there we are.
1: We're all silently cursing you. We're all silently cursing me, like Strahd.
0: That's right. Am I going to become the the dread master of my own domain of, of free books? Perhaps. Be right Maybe. That. Since uh, Sam is into cursing people, Sam, what's Curse oh. of Strahd?
1: Oh, it's just some, some adventure or something. Cool. Done. Say- <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> you said you wanted it fast. <laughs> uh, no. Curse of Strahd is a uh, super adventure written for the fifth edition of... Dungeons & Dragons. It takes the characters from 1st level through 10th level and beyond, and it is uh, heavily steeped in the um, lore and tropes of Strahd, the very famous vampire from the module I-6, Ravenloft, and it pays homage to that and it also has some things that are probably more than just paying homage uh, which is a good thing. I don't mean that as a as a uh, bad critique, um, but it also has some new things that are really good. In my opinion, I'll just give you the... So here's my sentence, and then everybody can quit listening after this. This is probably the best thing that they have produced for 5th edition since Fandelver.
0: Wow, okay. Cool.
3: Just real quick, just to be upfront, we're going to do spoilers probably here.
0: Yeah, it's hard to to uh, review an adventure if you don't talk about the stuff that's in the adventure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay.
3: So, <laughs> but just in case there's anyone new.
0: So if you, are, if you are a player in Curse of Strahd and don't want to be spoiled, you know, be warned. We're going to talk about the stuff that's in the book. Although it's interesting because I feel like having read the entire book cover to cover – I could still sit down and play this adventure and not necessarily know what's going to happen. Because there is a a decent amount of randomness to the whole thing.
1: Yes, and and it's very much a setting guide as well, which is one of the reasons why it's very
0: good. So how much of a setting guide is it though, really? I mean, it's only as much of a setting guide as it seems like it needs to be. Right. I mean- well, sure. Yeah,
1: yeah. I and I. I don't mean that as oh, it's it's a setting guide, and so you need to get it just to see the setting of Ravenloft. But what I mean is, there's so much in here that even if you you know, it would take a little bit of work from the from the DM, but you can actually you know flesh out everything a little tiny bit more, and you could run completely different adventures. Hmm. It, from the hooks that are in here, from the personalities that are in here, from the, you know, that aren't necessarily the direct true adventure part of this particular book. Yeah, I see, There's I, enough in there to to lead you to, mm-hmm. you know, sessions and sessions of good play.
0: See, there's been adventures that have, like, setting material in it that, that I think is more setting-ish than this is. Like, if you look at uh, Princes of the Apocalypse, the Red Large section was much more setting-ish than what I feel like we have here because – Although this is true of red large too, so maybe that's a bad example. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know but but the point being is that like everywhere that's detailed is detailed in enough detail like you're talking about so that you could use it as a setting. But it's all part of the adventure like every every building that's detailed, every room that has information on it could be part of the adventure. But that's where the replayability and randomness comes in, is that you could play through it 10 times and never go to that house and, and not right. miss a thing. But then this time it's crucially important.
4: Right. Yeah.
3: And I think part of it is that it, it's supposed to cover a pretty large uh, character level range uh, during the entire thing. So the adventure is kind of set up that eventually there's supposed to be a showdown with Strahd with you. Spoilers. Uh, <laughs> but if, if you go too early, you're just going to get killed. So they kind of need to move you around the setting. But they also use the card mechanic to that so that each time you play it, uh, potentially uh, Strahd and the things that will help you defeat him are, are in different locations. Mm-hmm. So you don't necessarily even go to all the locations any one run through of the adventure.
2: Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly.
0: David, you yeah. have been bone-chillingly <laughs> silent.
2: I don't like to interrupt people. Uh, <laughs> you Canadians. Yes. Too polite. Have you
0: ever been on this show before?
1: <laughs> Just we interrupt
2: people all over. Yeah, I don't like to force the, the, you having to edit the little bit uh, well, uh, out of the, the conversation. Not that you would. I actually echo Jeff's um, sentiment that it, there's a lot of information on the places you visit and not a lot of expansion. And I think the best example of that is actually Barovia, the village of Barovia, which is uh, pretty much identical to the original i6. There's um, no expansion of the houses, no extra uh, NPCs in it, no extra buildings. And for an expansion of it, you'd think that there'd be um, replayability in that. You'd be able to see twice as much of that village. But instead, it just takes you out of the places. There's the same half dozen NPCs that we've seen for the last uh, 20 years as opposed to the Red Larch in uh, Prince of the Apocalypse, where the entire population of town, or at least you know, a quarter of it, or what have you, is is detailed, and there's a lot more NPCs than you'll ever meet in a single playthrough in just that one location. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, my players went to Red Larch three or four times now and, and have only met, like, four or five NPCs the whole time. So,
1: But see, what you're saying is one of the reasons why I think this is such a great module or mm-hmm. such a great book, because... It didn't change so much that people who love the original will feel like everything has changed, everything's different. Because if they just go to Barovia and to the castle, you know, you can, you know, just do that and really mimic I-6 and only change very tiny things and everybody will still feel like it's just like I-6. But then they expanded everything outside of it. And made it so that you could do a lot more than just I six, <laughs> but, yeah. but, but, it's, but it's not so huge that I mean it's yeah. only like eighteen miles by eleven miles or something. I mean it's a large area, but there's only like you know three or four villages and whatnot, and so it's still constrained, but it, it's it's expanded upon what was in the original.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I I, I um. I really appreciate how true to the original it is. I feel like if they hadn't uh, specifically consulted Tracy and Laura Hickman on it, they still would have had to include them in the in the design credits. Because yeah. Yeah. I feel like was it I six or I nine? Which one was it? I six. I six. So they, I feel like they took I six and and a little bit of like the second edition update of Ravenloft, um, which kind of did the same thing. Like it took uh, I six and then expanded it just a little bit. Um, and I and I feel like they basically just lifted it out, copied and pasted it, put it put it into the new to the new book, and then just went through and did updates, you know, or like oh we added this new place, let's throw in a, a quick reference to that, or let's change things just enough to keep people on their toes.
1: Right, but in second edition, it was a it was its own setting. Well, and, and I, and they've, they've greatly, you know, contracted that back down.
0: No, 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 I'm, I, but, but the, there was a, a Ravenloft, a Castle Ravenloft Barovia specific area that basically ran like I-6 with just a little bit more detail.
1: Yeah, yeah. But, but what I'm saying is, for example, all, so I-6 plus all of that second edition
0: setting stuff. The whole setting stuff, yeah.
1: Is contracted down into one, two hundred and, you know, 56 page book.
0: Well, sort of. I mean, they know. they didn't they didn't compact the second editions other like the other realms and make them all fit. Right. They're not there, but it certainly leaves the door open for, you know, these other things could totally be out there. You never know. Yeah, no, no, I agree.
1: I, yeah, I I I just think I think that's kind of the beauty of it. You know, oh, it's yeah. it's kind of the same reason why The Force Awakens is it, it just resonates with lots of old Star Wars Grognard fans, right? Yeah. So this, for that same reason, this the part of this book that is a direct homage to I six is going to really resonate, you know. And, and I know several people who you know played first edition D anD D or AD anD D, and you know l- still played it for a long time, and then stopped playing RPGs for a long time, and now they're coming back in and with fifth edition, and this is like perfect for that particular group mm. of, of players, because it's really going to speak to them, but it's also highlighting some new things that 5th edition does that mm-hmm. that you didn't do with AD&D. It's
2: yeah. both the, the strongest part of the, the book and the weakest part. Because if, you, yeah. if you're if you a fan of it and you hadn't played the original, if you're new to the game, then you have it, and it's, you can play it completely as it was or expand on it. But if you have played it or you have any of the half dozen other versions of uh, i6 because it's been updated it was updated in the second it was updated in third they had a choose your own adventure there's a board game there was a video game (laughs) there's it's been done a lot
0: yeah every edition has had a version
2: except for fourth yeah so yes which had castle ravenloft which had yeah the board game board game so if if you've done all those and you've played those out before then there's not a lot new in this and so it's it's both a it's a it's a feature Mm. book I don't there's know the, that I'm willing to say there's not a lot new because none of the, oh sorry there's new in the
0: iconic sense there's a lot of filler in, well there's not a lot new in terms of the core that's still there but like yeah. the I don't remember like the Amber Temple being a thing I, I don't remember the other villages
2: being a thing at all uh, the other villages are actually part of the the campaign setting yeah. of the and setting and, from the, Second yes, okay. yes. Yeah. And those are and those are good stuff and that's good but it's all a bunch of stuff to get you to the right level to play the actual module. Which could easily just be skipped if you just rolled pre-gens that were four levels higher. Mm. So it's doable and it's good and it's great, but it doesn't truly add to the experience and it's not a new story. It's not just draw it with a new plan.
0: That actually leads to um one of my questions was, you know, they they try to encourage you to to sort of draw it out a little bit more like you're talking about, David. Yeah. Uh, by doing the card reading and sending you all over Barovia to find the different magic items and, and this, these scraps of information and whatever, they're going to help you defeat Strahd. Um, but how crucial are those to really helping you defeat
2: Strahd? Uh, as much as, you know, just the levels you gain by going and getting them. The Sun Sword tends to be a big one. And they, they, they was part, they've always been part of the game. Mm-hmm. And the, the Tome of Strahd, you get the little bit of the backstory. And the ally is a bit redundant. But other than that, they, they they can help. Well, yeah, but by the, the, by, part the, of it is the
0: but by the time you're going after Strahd, if you just made tenth level characters, by the time you're going after Strahd, then the allies are, are are outclassed by you anyway, right?
1: Yeah. I mean the the other you know the the idea is you know if you just want to play a game where you roll up you know some c- characters and go against a vampire, then no big deal. But the idea is also to get the gothic horror right, right, themes right. and the the atmosphere of the place and the fact that Strahd, you know, considers the characters little playthings for a while and I mean, you know, this is This is, it. you know, it is just to go on a MacGuffin hunt so that you can have those experiences, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, if you look at something like The Hobbit, okay, if you cut out all of the part of that story that was the journey to get to the final thing, it'd be like 50 pages Mm -hmm. and you'd miss most of the good part of the book so it's the same kind of thing with this like yeah those magic items aren't needed you know I my favorite magic item is not even one of the ones that like that you have to get like for Strahd or whatever but it's like what is it the leg bone or the thigh bone or something oh, yeah, yeah. The Saint Markovi- Markovich or mm-hmm. whatever her oh, yeah. name was like that's hilarious that that's a magic item is it the rest of her body is all degraded so much that that's the only thing left and so there's the magic item mm-hmm. I mean it's it's the kind of the feel that, that it evokes and how you find it and all, all that kind of. Of stuff, it's the journey. You know, the journey is the thing, right? So, you know, I, I mean, I I know a lot of this stuff was in sec- the second edition setting, but um, it's just very well done here, and and it's it's not completely linear, even though they can send you all over. Really, it's just a little bit of setting, and you've got some hooks and some pull points, and you can you can go do anything, and. Eventually, you're gonna figure out. Okay, this, this, this. Whoever's controlling this area is playing with us, and that's gonna make the PCs mad, and they're gonna start going after him.
0: And then it's gonna be even funnier because then he sends them an invitation and says, "Hey, come on in." <laughs> right. Exactly. And
1: so it's you know, but it's the idea of you have to be in the area long enough to get the thematic mm-hmm. gothic horror, and and also remember at the time I six originally came out, that was brand new. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't really done in D&D. And yeah, there was the second edition explosion, but it's still this, if you want it done in D&D, this is a really good version of it.
2: It is actually probably my, my favorite version of I-6, hands down. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned the tone, you mentioned the, the feel of it, the gothic feel. And that is probably my favorite part of this book. It really, really nails the gothic tone and the atmosphere mm-hmm. of the adventure and there's, lot, there's lots of creepy little details especially in the, the room descriptions and looking through places and you'll see uh, figures that are dancing and they turn out to be skeletal and uh, like there's lots of you know, dust and everything seems old and decaying and it is great and I um, you know, was really critical of the, uh, the third edition expedition to Castle Ravenloft because it didn't quite seem to capture that same tone of horror and mm. just in the gothic atmosphere whereas this book is just dripping with atmosphere it's just even all, in, even all the new stuff which I, I call failure earlier, but it's is still really excellent stuff. there's some really great scenes and areas, like an old bone grinder, so my like favorite you know mini kind of side quests, some good stuff.
0: yeah, I haven't decided yet and uh, speaking of new stuff um I want to talk about Amber, uh, the temple of amber or amber temple or whatever it's called Amber. <laughs> Yeah,
1: because so wait, can I can I before you move on can I say something in response to David's comments? I suppose. I, I, oh yeah, sorry, <laughs> sorry to put you out, Mister Granger. Uh, <laughs> um, I totally agree, and it and the uh, the other thing that they do really well is they give lots of tips to the GM, and they're right up front about you know this is not an introductory adventure for for a new novice dm to run it's really for somebody who's a little bit experienced but even for that experienced person here's some tips on how to make you know how how to make the whole theme fit into your game um and also throughout the whole book it has little tips sprinkled here and there um but at the same time i have a love hate relationship with box text (laughs) <laughs> and, I mean, that's a, that's a controversial topic we could talk mm-hmm. about in great detail, probably for a whole episode. Um, this book gets really wordy in places in terms mm-hmm. of box text, and that drives me nuts. But, as David said, the some of the stuff that it throws into the box text, it really does go a long way to evoke the creepiness of the setting and the mm-hmm. sort of weird, eerie, you know. And so, anybody... Anybody who really, really learns this book and who really pays attention to this book and then doesn't necessarily read the box text, but more paraphrases it and makes it sound more natural, but keeps that creepy bit in there, that'll do a lot for the mm. creepiness of the game.
0: Yeah, and Box text is, is like I lean on it real heavily, and I love box task, boxed mm. text. Um, but if it goes longer than, you know, half an inch, it, it starts to wear. Real fast. Right. And I think that's what you're talking about. And there are some. Yeah, there are some some real moments where um, if you're reading the box text out of this adventure, it's going to feel like you're monologuing. Right. So so I was going to talk about uh, Temple Amber or Amber Temple or uh, that that girl, Amber, who had Amber temple. temple. Yes. So so I'm not sure, like what I think about that location at this point and the adventure that sort of goes with it. Because it, on one hand, it kind of has the the gothic horror thing going on with the, the, the wizards that have gone mad and, and all this kind of stuff, right? Um, but on the other hand, like, it almost gets to the point of epic. When you're interacting with the dark powers, you know, the, the – Ravenloft, whether it's the setting or just Barovia or whatever, has always had sort of this, these dark powers that created the, the Domains of Dread and whatever, but they've always been sort of, been sort of this, this mysterious, unknowable thing. Um, now we have the dark powers there encased in amber and stuck in this temple. Um, at which point it kind of feels like you're going and talking to the gods, which doesn't feel very gothic horror to me.
2: I have very strong feelings about the Amber Temple.
0: Okay, please share. Yeah. it's uh,
2: uh it's, it's I'm a big Ravenloft fan, and one of the big rules of Ravenloft is that you never reveal who the dark powers were. And the one book that actually revealed what the dark powers were is it was a struck from Canon. It's it's right mm-hmm. up there with revealing who caused the Day of Mourning in Eberron. Mm-hmm. It's like the no, mm-hmm. do not do that. And then you have this book, and it's yeah, oh, and here are the uh, the dark powers, and they're these things, and they're vestiges, and it's just and it's
0: so. mm-hmm. and that's sort of the, the the issue i had is like on one hand i really like that kind of stuff on the other hand it's a very different tone than what the rest of the adventure does
1: yeah i was um i don't i don't know if conflicted about it is the right term because mm-hmm. i it it's my least favorite part i think um but then i was trying to think to myself well what if i didn't know anything about ravenloft until i read this book would it be okay with me? And it's really hard for me to answer that question because it's not true that I didn't know anything about Ravenloft before mm-hmm. I read the book. So, well, you mean, so you I, mean, would
0: that aspect of the of the, the book be okay with you, or would it be okay with you not knowing who the dark powers are?
1: No, I, I'm okay not knowing because okay. I I know about Ravenloft and I and I know that that's kind of one of the things. Well, as and, would it, and you, you didn't know.
0: know the first time you picked it up,
1: you know, back right. in the day either because they never right. detailed it. Exactly, and so, so I, so I, I'm not sure. I guess what I'm saying is, I tried to look at this from if I have new eyes, and I've never mm-hmm. known anything other than what I read in this book. Would I be okay with this chapter and sort of revealing the dark powers? And and I don't know. It's too, I can't answer the. It's too hard for me to answer it. I don't know.
0: Yeah, and the so, other part, of that, the other issue I had with the temple was that it's it's not.
1: It doesn't have the same feeling as the well, rest of the.
0: The and, adventure, and, and some of it does because of this weird sort of like they've gone crazy, and some of them are still trapped there, and there's mm-hmm. these constructs and stuff running around. Although it's constructs and not a traditional sort of horrific thing, right?
1: Well, um, and then I'm not a huge fan of constructs. So okay. That, that also.
0: But then makes there, it but then there's also this element of, um, it's a massive dungeon crawl, mm-hmm. and it's like it's the only massive dungeon crawl besides the castle itself.
1: Which is why it also
0: – that that's what,
1: that's part of the reason why I say it kind of – it doesn't really fit. And mm-hmm. so it feels like it's kind of stuck in because they, they need a dungeon crawl. But they don't really need the – you know what I mean? So I I, I don't know. I, and I, I, said, I, I'm, I'm and it feels like about.
0: it was written by, differently or by somebody different than, than wrote the rest of it because it even – like the way it's described and whatever is, is – different than like it it's described as if somebody wrote a a dungeon adventure as opposed to a gothic horror adventure you know right. yeah
3: yeah so and like the only raven stuff i know is the other book that we had to read for the book club this month mm-hmm. so uh, Which, have you finished book. yet i did finish <laughs> okay
2: what book did you guys read ice rod oh yeah, yeah, yeah i have that in hardcover <laughs> oh yeah because <laughs> i'm a nerd
3: <laughs> uh And when I got to this chapter, granted, um, I'd already been reading a lot because it's chapter 13. My eyes started glazing over a little bit and it it definitely had a different feel to me at the very least than the rest of the book. Mm -hmm. So I I also picked up on the same stuff you guys are talking about. Yeah, It's it's also
2: very um, not gothic in that it's a big giant temple of amber walls which doesn't kind of mm-hmm. have that kind of same medieval European feel. Eastern yeah, and I, European if,
0: feel. if they had sort of a, a, a Cthulhu thing going on, then it could almost kind of fit there with the, the weird madness and the alien like structure and whatever.
1: See, and and that's the, that's the thing though. Like I don't I don't lump in like the Strahd, Gothic, vampire, gargoyle, horror, you know, even Shadowfell portion with Cthulhu-esque mythos. And Very different horror. horrors. Yeah, no, it's I, I, different. They're completely different. So, like, and that's kind of why this feels so epic. It feels kind of wrong. Then, even the little bits of horror that are in it
0: feel like a different horror. That said, I, it's a it's remember. a really cool dungeon. I like the I like what's yeah. there. It just doesn't feel like the same thing. Yeah.
3: I don't remember any toys in here. So, <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> has to be a different person. My big complaint with the um, Amber as a new person, uh, admitting everything I know about it as a giant Ravenloft guru, um, uber nerd, is that it really doesn't fit into the level range well. It's right up there in the climax. It's the last chapter. It's level nine with Castle Ravenloft. So you're interrupting your exploration of Castle Ravenloft to go explore and do this dungeon crawl in the Temple of Amber. So you're pausing the climax that you've been building to for nine levels to go do a side quest. Mm-hmm. And that's really awkwardly placed in the adventure for that.
0: But you you almost have to be that level if you're
2: going to go actually discover the dark powers, right? So, see, it could almost be an epilogue for after, but... If it you're, yeah, it could be. But if, once it, you beat Strahd, what's left? Do you really want right. to keep playing, or do you want to just move on to the next adventure? On the other the hand, next adventure? I really like the temptation
0: concept. The idea it's of what nice happens when you when you touch the, the amber coffins or whatever they are. Uh, and, and you're tempted with this, you know, this offer of great power or whatever, just like Strahd was and, and sort of that. I, I like I like the concept of that and I like the mm-hmm. idea because uh, one of the things that are discussed early on is that um, one of the players Strahd is playing with but keeps alive specifically because he's hoping to be sort of his his heir, right? So that Strahd right. could someday yeah. leave and this guy could be the new Lord, Lord of Barovia. Uh, and so – but that whole – temptation arc kind of gets mentioned early on in the book and then never Mm -hmm. really comes up again. There's never like a, here's an opportunity to do this or here, you know, whatever. and then this gives you an opportunity to, to get in some of that, that temptation.
1: Yeah. It kind of falls apart in the motivational aspect of Strahd. It does mention that right in the first, like five pages, it tells the story of how, you know, he wants to escape that this is a prison. Spoilers, spoilers, right? This is a prison for him, too. I mean, that anybody who knows anything about Ravenloft knows that, too. But that he, he really is, you know, looking, he keeps drawing adventurers in because he's looking for somebody that could be his heir or who could su- succeed him as the master of Barovia. And yet, all, everybody always falls short and he always deems them unworthy. And so but he but he keeps them alive and plays with them and investigates their abilities and and all of that stuff before he confronts them directly in most cases. But yeah, you're right. They, that, it, that's true. It never really they never really kind of point out in any place. Here's where you can you know really press on that
0: mm-hmm. one
1: player or those two players that he really thinks are the most powerful or the most charismatic or whatever.
0: Or the most prone to being corrupted, you know? Right.
1: Or the most yeah, right. It's, right. It's,
0: it's, it was it, my thought was oh that's how I can how I can mess with the one guy who decides to play an evil character when everybody <laughs> else is good. Yeah. No. Yeah. So I had some other questions um, about how you, things went over with you guys before we uh wrap up our review and go talk to chris perkins um the book is laced with all kinds of different levels of humor uh and they said in the official D podcast when they talked to tracy hickman that that was done intentionally um, because horror works best when it's not just straight horror 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 horror. right you have to have the lighter moments in order to make the dark moments really dark and that's um, even part of the uh, DM tips that they give you. Absolutely. And so I'm curious, how well does the the humor work? Because sometimes the humor is relatively subtle, and sometimes it's, like, right in your face.
2: <laughs> I, I, I don't I, mind the dark I, humor and the, mm-hmm. the toys, for example, are really mm-hmm. good for that. But there's some really bad puns and some of the really cheesy jokes, like uh, sort of so trips a lot or clutch Yeah, that's the one, one I, was I was thinking of. Yeah, klutzky. and And... Uh, uh, What's her name? Von Twitterberg, who had lots of followers in the crypts. I, I don't like the entire crypts. I've never liked the crypts of Ravenloft, just mm-hmm. because there's just, it's a giant thing of room after room after room that doesn't serve much purpose and is usually a bunch of really silly jokes. Mm-hmm.
0: But,
2: but yes, Klutsky, or whatever his name is, that was just, that would take me right out of the adventure. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah, just
1: yeah as I, I read those and I think to myself, okay, what's, what am I going to make that guy's name?
2: Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah.
0: Okay, so the other question I had, or the next question I had then was. So let me. Well, oh, so yeah, I, I
1: actually answer. So I, you know, the problem with writing the the humor, quote unquote humor, the, writing the funny bits into the into the adventure doesn't. I mean, like that never goes well at the table. Mm. I mean, you know, my group it gets along well enough, and they're a fun group, and they'll make the jokes happen, mm-hmm. and. Even if we're in a really tense moment, usually one of the players at least has a good feeling for when to not crack the joke and when to crack the joke. To kind of bring the levity of the situation into the forefront so that the tension is broken a little bit at at appropriate times though. Um, And when you try to write that into a situation or an event or a scene it just usually falls flat.
0: Well, and there are moments where they've tried to write it into the scene and, and, and I think that's what would happen, like Sir Klutzy trips a lot, right? Yeah. Um, where but there's also moments where I feel like instead of writing the humor into the scene, they've written in an opportunity for humor. Yeah. And then the players can make of it what they will, right? They can, they can take the joke, or they can run with the punchline, or not, depending on where they're at at that time. And I think that's, that's an okay way to write the humor. Yeah, yeah, I usually have no problem yeah.
3: with that. Yeah.
0: So my next question then, unless Tracy wanted to chime in on humor.
3: No, no, I was just saying I, I like it better when there's a setup for humor. <laughs> rather, than rather than the than joke. The joke. Yeah, yeah
0: exactly. So my next question then was cameos. There's a lot of cameos in in the book, and those some of those have the potential to take you out or or change the feel or the tone or whatever as well. Now some of them are right in line, like there's there's Bobby Lasaga or whatever, yeah. which is basically Bobby Yaga, right? Um, only in Ravenloft, and and there's um, Van Richten. Who is, is a classic sort of Ravenloft mm-hmm. character who's kind of running around doing things. And so those kind of make sense. Um, but then I, I'm specifically thinking like the appearance of Morden Kanan is really cool, but also doesn't feel Ravenlofty
2: to me, <laughs> you know? so That was weird. Yeah, not, and many, I don't even know what to make of that. If that was just a, an Easter egg to set up a, a, a Greyhawk adventure, like mm. the, the drow that I was name dropped in Princes of the Apocalypse. Who then re- reappeared in out of the abyss? Hmm. It's I don't know why Morden is there.
3: Yeah, I was wondering about that too. And also, did they do um, a video game tie into this one too? For...
2: Mm, no.
3: I okay, everyone hasn't
2: done anything with curses. Strahd yet?
1: Yeah, I'm not. I you know, I love Morden I'm a Greyhawk person, but yeah, misplaced.
0: Yeah, well, and, and it's kind of one of the, like, I was really proud of myself for reading through it and being like, I'm not a Greyheart person, but I know this, I get it, I, you know, yay! Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And,
1: well, but and- d- isn't that kind of weird, then, if if the players are doing the hook where they came from Daggerford in the Forgotten Realms? Mm-hmm. Like that's that's the reason why it kind. Of, I was like, ah, you know.
0: Well, but the specific- they're going to
1: write in a direct connection to the Forgotten Realms because it's kind of the default setting. But then you're going to, you know, throw Mordenkainen in there.
0: So, and I, and I mentioned this with the interview with Chris that people will hear momentarily, that 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 wasn't entirely. Um, an accident, right? That was that was them, because Ravenloft is our first glimpse of, there are other places besides the realms, mm-hmm. and then Mordenkainen or Mordenkainen, however you want to say it, is, is yet another, like, and it's not just Ravenloft in the realms, right? There's this other stuff right. going on, and there's this Mordenkainen guy, and he's in, he's in Ravenloft right now, but he's from Greyhawk, but if you ask him, he even knows Elminster, and has been to his house and hangs out with him, because that's official canon, because it was in Dragon Magazine once upon a time. <laughs> Actually, yeah. it was, it was right. a Ra- it was a regular thing, right? They, the, right? What all the great wizards would show up at Ed Greenwood's house in Canada.
2: <laughs> yes, yeah. it's, it's it is a little odd though that mordenkainen got taken down by Strahd because Strahd isn't that powerful. Yeah, he's what CR <laughs> fifteen, and Mordenkind is supposed to be like this big epic level wizard mm-hmm. who should have been able to solo Strahd. Yeah, kill him and take his stuff and give him a pink belly, and yet he's <laughs> wandering defeated. Can it's we, like, would they do that with Elminster?
0: Can, we can just assume that it's early Morning <laughs> right? Cool.
1: It's baby Morning it, Yeah,
0: it's the beginning of his career. He's only tenth level now. Year one Morden Kanan. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
0: but but ultimately, I'm not sure that it matters because um, you know you've got this crazy wizard out in the, out in the the mountains and the only way for any of that to really to come out anyway like you they've buried this really kind of cool easter egg that at the same time kind of doesn't fit the the feel of the the story and the setting anyway um, but it's never going to really come up anyway cuz who's going to seek out that the the crazy wizard that everybody says to avoid and then go through the very specific series of events and cast the right spells in order to get to get him sane again so you can actually get that information from him Um, You know, it just seems fairly. It seems like one of those things that's kind of cool to read, but it's never going to come up in the story anyway because nobody's going to go through all that.
1: Well, you, you know, and so I have two opinions about that. I mean, so that's kind of showing an example of what a DM can do. That's not directly related necessarily to the entire adventure. Just you know it's more than, you know, random encounters can be more than just, oh, you meet an owlbear in the forest, you know. They can be things that you hear whispers about or you hear rumors about or you hear about some other way, and then if you ha- find yourself in that area, something interesting can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and if the, if the DM who reads this really wants that encounter to happen, they can make sure that the players get enough, you know, that the PCs get enough knowledge beforehand that they can key in on a couple of important, Mm. questions that will lead them into I mean it, it takes a lot of setup and that's why I say I said in the beginning and it's true of the rest of the adventure too that you really kind of got to know what's happening to be able to really set up the situation so that the players ha- can get as much information as they need mm. to sort of find all the goodies in here
0: yeah and at some point I think it's, it's tricky because like when I meet a crazy person or somebody with a memory issue my first thought isn't, oh, what is it? Restoration, that'll fix it. <laughs> right? Um right. I don't know that the spell is written that way. <laughs> uh but they use that they go to that trope multiple times where, oh here here's the, the I think it's restoration or lesser restoration. Um here here's the spell you need in order to fix somebody's mind.
1: Right.
0: Oh, well that's that's an interesting function of that spell that I don't think is in the description of that spell. That changes some things, right? And because no, who's going to think to try that unless you est- unless you find some way to establish that at su- you know at a, a non crucial time in the story so that it, so they might think of it later on, you know.
1: That's also a callback, though, because you know way back in the AD and D days people used to think up different uses for spells all the time. Oh, yeah. And like that would be something that, oh, we're, we got to solve this problem. And we know this guy knows the problem, but the problem, you know, he's nuts and we can't get in his mind to be clear enough to tell us the answer. What could we possibly do to, to fix him even for just five minutes? Mm-hmm. And then that's when the wizard starts going through his spell book and saying, okay, you know, what, how, what can I do? Mm. And, you know, or the cleric starts, you know, praying and trying to, you know, you know, appeal to the to their God to to give them some kind of insight into this issue, and that's when that kind of thing comes up. Like that's a very old school way mm-hmm. of dealing with the situation. Even you know, so I guess that's my response to you saying it's not written in the text of the spell. It doesn't have to be. No, it but doesn't. That, but that's a style of play, and that that might not be a style of play that the people doing this particular edition are used to
0: right and that's what I, that's what I'm saying because uh, I think that was a style of play especially if you go back to the, the first edition days right mm-hmm. if you go through some of the yep. some of like the original classic adventures that they rebound and, and published right. uh, you know I, it amazed me reading through and reviewing those um, what was that a year or two ago now Yep. Um, how many times it was like, oh, you're in the Tomb of Horrors and there's this there's this obstacle and this one mm-hmm. very specific spell <laughs> right. will solve yeah. the problem, but That's there's right. no hints or clues that that spell will work to solve the problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's like, well, then why would you ever think to do that? <laughs>
3: yeah. yeah. And it touches on something else that I kind of felt reading through this because this is a wide range adventure mm-hmm. and some of those spells are, are a little higher level, not necessarily all of them, but there's a mix, there's no clear, uh, this is the area for level three, this is the level for five. Because um, I was noticing, even just reading through it, that some stuff would be only uh, a trap, would be, you know, maybe 1d10, and then suddenly there'd be a trap down the hallway that's 8d10. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah, be careful and- with wagons. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, Michael Bay makes wagons in Barovia. <laughs> that was his first career, I guess. Yeah.
3: But like with some of those things, where it's like, well, how do we fix it? It's like, well, maybe we just need to get to the level where we can fix it too.
0: Yeah, maybe. Yeah. And speaking of the range of levels for the adventure, um, Sam mentioned it as a first through tenth level adventure in the in the opening, and it's really kind of not. It's a third through tenth. But then they threw in the Death House adventure at the beginning to Mm -hmm. cover first and second level.
1: Well, you asked me what it is. And it is
0: billed as a
1: Dungeons & Dragons adventure for characters' levels 1 through 10. Mm -hmm. That's how they're marketing it. So, So, that's, yeah.
0: yeah. I wanted to talk about Death House. What do we think about the the extra, like, appendix adventure uh, that's supposed to cover levels 1 and 2 that
2: introduces... Ravenloft to the players. I think it's cool. I love that they gave it away for free. Mm -hmm. It's a a really nice map that doesn't feel like it was made for miniatures, because there's not like the the giant rooms in the huge hallways that you always see in the the miniature base maps. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I like the the, the design of the house where you have to go all the way to the top before you can go down. Mm -hmm. And I really feel for any players that just decide to charge in and fight the Shambling Mound. (laughs) That is, that's going to cause a lot of TPKs.
1: Mm-hmm. I think that... Um, I think it's a good sort of... Uh, it's a good adventure and because it's it's not as straightforward and you do kind of have to figure things out and you got to go up to a place and then back and then up and then back and you have to look for the right particular you know clues and all that. I think it's a good setup for some of the things that the players will have to get used to about playing in this...
2: Setting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just kind uh, of yeah, rape them up in a, a nutshell.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, and 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 it is you know, it, the the danger of it is uh, if the players are all gung ho and they make these characters and they love their characters and then they go into death house at first level and die, um, truly making it a death house. By the way, mm-hmm. then uh, <laughs> I I you know I I always cringe at a player who makes. A character and they really love their character and then it dies
0: well and that's one of the because- things that, that's one of my critiques of death house because i have some of the same things that i love about it right it's, right. it's a really well-designed adventure and it looks yeah. really fun and at the same time it's like you're gonna go into this and level twice without a rest
3: because
0: mm-hmm. if you're gonna rest where are you gonna rest in the middle of the haunted house that's right. trying to kill you that's literally like the house is trying to kill you yeah um you know uh, so, like, it seems I'm really deadly for first and second level characters without a rest to go through the whole thing without a break. I don't know how you do it.
1: I mean, it, it, it's it's kind of a training module, right? It really is a here. You need to pay attention to some things that perhaps you're not used to paying attention to. Mm. And I don't have a problem with that. I mean, that's it's a very once again, it's a style of play thing uh, that particularly does not bug me. But um, it does bug me that that if my players make these great characters they fall in love with and then they die, I don't know how that... Like, I... Usually... Okay, so I'm a killer DM. I, death is not a problem for me in games, but first-level 5th edition d This is what I'm saying. I don't think it's an inappropriate adventure. I think it's inappropriate so, for first-level. <laughs> yeah, they're so squishy. And so I think that it's, you know... Part of it needs to be, okay, make some characters and we're just going to run through this. And these might not be the characters. Just set the expectation. These might not be the characters that you actually end up playing in the in the campaign. This might just be, let's just see how Ravenloft feels. And then everybody dies a couple of times. <laughs>
0: Although I also like uh, that there's some alternative. Like you get to the end and you don't have to fight the Shambling Mound. You can sacrifice something or somebody and then win.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. But once again, play style, right? Right, I like the idea though of carrying like a bunny with me, or or sacrificing the wizard's familiar or something, just to say like you know, fine, but we all live, you know. <laughs> yeah.
2: <The> poor bunny. <laughs> what do you guys think
1: of the, uh, of the uh, of the uh, handouts in the back? The map.
0: Or oh, 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 the, the handouts. Hand- the handout handouts. Handout yeah. pages. Yeah. So that's something that. Um, has been used to good effect. I think in some previous adventures, um, in the in past editions that I've really liked. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I, my only issue is that I always forget to (laughs) make the copies of them. Um, and I think they could have chosen a little bit more clear of a font.
2: Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Not very legible. That's what I
1: was. That was my complaint. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Did any of you buy a, a, a deck? Mine is being shipped. Yeah, mine as well.
3: Uh, Jarrett has one because he's visiting mm-hmm. right now, and he bought one when he was at the game store. And it looked That's, pretty cool. Mm-hmm.
2: It's yeah. <laughs> It'll be like my fourth Shroka deck. <laughs>
1: yeah, mine too. My uh, m- my pre order got lost, so I, I was oh. really hoping to have it before. Because uh, I wanted to talk about the quality of the cards, which I hear is quite good. So.
0: Yeah, I mean we have the artwork in here, but we don't. Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
3: yeah I saw yeah, them only just... briefly, and they seemed pretty good. Yeah. It was just funny because the text he sent me a text. He's like, "Can you look up uh, whether or not the art is the old art?" And I was like, "Well, I'm in a meeting right now. I can't." And uh... I
0: say, "I'm pretty sure from the interview or something that I heard on the the official D and D podcast that that it's all new art. It's, it's new. Art. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's all new art."
3: And then he said, uh, "Well, it doesn't matter anyway. I'm buying it." Oh, Okay. <laughs>
1: Yeah. I, I like that they give the conversion, you know, right in, right up front when you're when they're telling you how to, you know, deal from the deck and do the Taroka reading and all that. They just tell you right away what it is. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it's not like some secret code you got to flip to the back on one page or something. Like, they're very straightforward. It's, it's very straightforward. You can use a regular deck of cards. So it's not necessary for all you listeners. But the art looks really cool, and it's just a really nice table piece. To have, you know, mm. especially if you have Madame Ava doing the reading, you know, and then you do the reading in front of them, and you know, it's it's kind of nice.
0: You're gonna put a shawl on your head and, and light some candles. Oh, absolutely, and I'll talk with a with a
1: musky, crackly voice. Mm. And absolutely, yeah. have
0: you have you been working on your uh, your uh, gypsy uh, accent?
1: No. Okay. <laughs> gypsy a derogatory term, Mister. I'm Garner. sorry. I'm
0: sorry. You're Roma. Those are the
1: Roma people. Yes.
2: Bistani. The well,
0: in
2: things from Bistani. the gypsy. Yes. Yeah.
3: That's one thing I did notice that I couldn't quite figure out is that sometimes it, it was Vistani and then other times it was bistana.
1: Yeah, that's, S- that's singular, singular. plural. Yeah.
3: Okay, I wasn't sure. It was a little hard to tell. Yeah, they
1: they only mentioned that once. When they actually first introduce the like on page 10 or whatever mm-hmm. yeah what do you guys what do you guys think of the maps
2: i I really like them I pity anyone who tries to run on a virtual tabletop
0: <laughs> yeah, no Espe- especially the uh, the actual castle Ravenloft maps because yes. it's the isometric maps and all that good luck with putting tokens on that mm-hmm Although, yeah, and, you know, by, the,
1: and by the way, uh, uh, Mike Schlei, uh, you know, he sold the, he sells his his cartography on his website. And so I bought the Ravenloft package, um, but it does not come with the isometric Castle Ravenloft map because he didn't do
0: that one.
2: Oh, okay. Mm-hmm.
0: I need to get a copy of that. It's yeah, it beautiful.
2: Yeah. It's really yeah. lovely. Yeah.
0: All right, so let's let's do last thoughts. Any last things that you want to mention that hasn't come up yet? Uh, and let's start with Tracy.
3: Uh, I liked a lot of the art, and I thought it was cool because I noticed that there are different skin tones in there too, which was, mm-hmm. uh, to me, really great.
0: Yeah, they created a whole new part of the, the backstory, I think, of Strahd to explain why there's diversity now whereas there wasn't previously in this adventure.
3: Right, and and as you guys already touched on, this is kind of more eastern europe mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and there was still a lot of movement of of different peoples mm-hmm. <laughs> in that area in the real world yes. so it's great that it's also in the fantasy world mm-hmm. in, in my opinion and also i noticed that a lot of them there they did a lot of uh guard guardsmen would be women and men mm-hmm. or sometimes just women uh even Irina, that her picture of her i was a little sad at first because the picture has her with like a sword and she looks Tough, but the text only has her as someone who needs to be protected. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, she I, never I,
0: she never does much on her own, does she? She just tags along and gets protected. That's yeah.
3: how she's
2: supposed to start out, and she, that's her uh, it's her origin story. She becomes a badass as you venture prog- adventure. <laughs> ah. That's
3: but how I it was. Think, her. I, I I did think it was kind of cool, like with a lot of the art, because they had they had women not only and they had women of all ages, even though sometimes the older women were the, mostly the bad women, but. But yeah.
2: yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a gothic trope. So, so you, oh. when you're doing something with the tropes. It's really hard not to avoid the, the negative stereotypes like the gypsies and the mm-hmm. crones. And...
3: Yeah, I, I mean, I disagree yeah. with whether or not it's hard to avoid them, but.
2: Well, it's hard not to at least touch on them. But yeah, there should have been at least someone else.
3: Yeah. A, a is so cool.
2: uh, that actually reminds me of my last thought, if I don't mind me jumping in. Mm-hmm. It's uh, Gertrude and her mother it's that's when the first things you encounter and when you go to village of Barovia it as it is in the original and then you go off and you venture all around Barovia and then you come mm-hmm. back to castle Ravenloft and then oh look there she is she's being imprisoned in the castle and for a month and a half being tortured by the Dracula and <laughs> Dracula and, <laughs> and, just, and it's, it's everything's still fine it's, if you're if you're a dm I encourage you to hold off on that adventure until the players come back to the village of Brovia. Otherwise, there's the whole giant question of why she isn't horribly traumatized after being locked in a castle tower. Or,
0: or, or, or why don't we go after her now? Like, exactly. Clearly, she's charging. in danger. Yeah. We need to charge yes. into the 10th level place now. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, my, and my players would do that.
2: Yeah, yeah and then totally. And whine about dying. Yeah.
0: Sam, thoughts? Um... I
1: mean I, my my final thought is was also my first thought that i I still despite our our sort of critiques, mm-hmm. uh, I still think that it's it's one of the best things they produce for fifth edition, and it's second in line f- behind Fando or for me.
0: Mm-hmm. absolutely yeah i mean i've had the like I'm really digging my current campaign as you can tell if you've t- uh, you know heard us talk about it on the behind the DM screen, right um, But at the same time, like, reading this, it's like, oh, I want to do this now. (laughs) Like, not later. I want to do this now. (laughs) And I can't. I'm in the middle of another campaign. There's, like, multiple mega-adventures in the middle of them. Uh, My last thought, uh, to get one last critique in, because I can, Um, one of my favorite things running the original, I used to run the original um, I6 adventure every single year around Halloween time. For multiple years, I used to do that. And then, like, it would be the same Castle. So if they went back to it the next year, the, you know, when they toppled Mm -hmm. over that statue this year, next year, it's got cracks on it and stuff. Like they've propped it back up, but it's damaged. Um, And one of the things that was my favorite was the automaton Strahd playing the organ. Like it's, it's this weird, corny thing, Mm -hmm. but it was so iconic to, to Ravenloft. And so one of the first things I did when I got the book was I flipped it open and I found that room to find out if they kept the automaton playing the organ. And they didn't. There's still a straw playing the organ, but it's a, a magical illusion that you can like sit and have a conversation with, and it's not the same effect. Mm. So, and, and and I talked to Chris Perkins about that, and you and people will hear the interview um, about why they made that change. But I don't know. I, I miss that all <laughs> the So <laughs> my little my little nitpick. All right. So Did you find
3: it? Oh no! Just real quick, I, along those lines, I do find it interesting the number of times it's like. Cheap parlor tricks mixed in with expensive magic.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah.
0: Absolutely. And I look forward to the book club uh, about I. Strahd because I found having read that book informed my reading of this adventure quite a bit. So How I'll, I'll find... be curious to see if you have the same experience, Tracy. I
3: did, yeah.
2: How do you find his, uh, Strahd's character? Like, they changed his backstory for this adventure quite a bit. I know much. Tracy has gotten into the book yet, or not? So uh, for,
0: uh, for the for the adventure, it's different.
2: Yeah, for the adventure, it really feels like he's a little less fallen from grace and more just outright evil from the very beginning. Like well,
1: not from know. the very very beginning, but once he became this conquering. Yeah, well, he turvist. was he was not
2: a um, he wasn't yeah. repelling the Turks. He wasn't uh, mm-hmm. uh, taking back his land. He was right, conquering right. their land, yeah. and he was yeah, like. Yeah butchering a silver dragon and seeking immortality from the beginning and so the whole the, the whole wedding with uh sergey the, the the black wedding mm-hmm. is a, uh, um almost an excuse for him mm. to go off the deep end and go all bad yeah i mean i didn't rather than like a turning point
0: i didn't necessarily feel like it was inconsistent with what i saw in the novel though because he kind of i mean My recollection of the novel, and maybe we'll find out differently on Thursday when we discuss (laughs) it, but uh, my recollection of of the novel was that he was kind of conquering the territory anyway. He wasn't defending the Turks or from the Turks here either like like Dracula was. So, I mean, I don't know. I didn't see a big shift. I mean, I saw some inconsistencies that could have just been a, a point of view inconsistency. You know, whoever's reporting the information has a different take on what's going on. I don't know if Tracy had the same experience, though, or or even Sam, who has experience with this adventure going back.
1: Well, I mean, I feel like, you know, in I-6, he was kind of a tragic figure. And in this, he feels much less like a tragic figure and more like a... An, an evil villain a villain's I mean, mastermind if that, if that yeah if mm-hmm. if that makes sense i mean that that seems like a fine line but but the feel is a little bit different and it's not so different that it bothers me because mm-hmm. of course any dm can play strahd how they want but um uh, but it is a little bit of a difference but yeah, I, it, it, to me it's not it's not because the backstory in this is so humongously different it just feels different a little bit
3: it is like 400 years later right or something
0: after the fall
1: mm-hmm. yes yeah. i don't know
0: so it's, it's yeah i don't know I, they may they may have given a specific number i just know that they talked about it being centuries since he originally fell yeah and yeah, just and, like and, and, and and that tra- lack of tragicness is probably true sam um i guess it didn't stand out to me because usually that feeling of tragicness was something that i've always read in the backstory but never really or seldom really came out to the players yeah, yeah. anyway, so... Yeah. Yeah, that's
1: true.
3: Yeah, I don't want to give away too much from the book club either.
0: <laughs> All right. Because
3: I had a, a different reaction to Strahd.
0: Okay. Well... Point for the book point. club. Then we will yeah. save that for then, and people can get their Strahd fix in two different episodes. But now I'm going to go ahead and toss it to myself. I'm going to be talking to Chris Perkins, who was the lead designer on the book from Wizards of the Coast, so take it away, me here i am i am back and i am with chris perkins the what chief story guru of D D. is that about right that's about right and sitting behind him is greg tito just kind of hanging out and seeing what's going on
4: <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll be here laughing at all the appropriate jokes
0: very good very good <laughs> so <laughs> this we're is here. A very serious adventure. It, it is it is everything is very serious um in, in an adventure where all of the, the wine is named Grape Mash, right? Right, yes, yes. <laughs> yes.
4: Yeah, that, that's actually not, that's a, that's a nod to another old adventure. Oh, yeah? Yeah, all of, the, all of the wine names come from another Tracy and Laura Hickman adventure called Rahaja.
0: Oh, very cool. Yeah, there's lots of little, and, and you're, we're jumping way ahead, but there's lots of little cameos for things that pop up here and there throughout the adventure, aren't there?
4: Oh my goodness! Yes,
0: and, and for the record, we're assuming, and, and we they the audience has been warned ahead of time that uh, spoilers may abound. So feel free to to speak yeah, freely. Okay. That, that's good to know. Yeah, it's hard to discuss an adventure without discussing the adventure. You know.
4: Mm-hmm. So yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah.
4: and it's a, it's a it's a scary adventure, kids.
0: Yeah, there you go. So let let's talk about that term then. Uh, do we consider this more of an adventure or a campaign because the previous products were kind of uh, you know build as campaigns and this is uh i don't know if this is a campaign or an adventure
4: it's both um certainly because of the the level span you could run it all the way from first to about 10th or 11th and that's for a lot of people that is a full-length campaign mm-hmm. um uh, but you can also kind of slice it up into smaller digestible bits and uh, sort of run the sections that are close to the original adventure, like the the town of Barovia and the castle Ravenloft itself, and sort of confine the action there if you really wanted to. Uh, you could also just run like the death house intro adventure or kind of break off other pieces of the adventure and use them in your home campaign. So, uh, yeah, it is an adventure, but there's lots of campaign possibilities. Let's put it that way.
0: Okay, very good. Yeah, and, and well, and it sort of introduces. We were just talking about cameos, right? It sort of introduces, um, or at least more strongly hints to us than possibly the previous campaigns of a larger setting than just the realms or even of Ravenloft out there, right? We have cameos f- from Greyhawk, um, you know, and we have major mm-hmm. uh, characters from Ravenloft who are known from going from one domain to another that pop up in, in here yes. as well. Is the, is there, that's correct yeah is, is that intentional
4: um, uh no it's completely accidental <laughs> Well, I mean, is it, is it
0: intentional at this time to be aiming us for understanding this this larger multiversal world
4: absolutely uh we kind of made a promise when we did the core rule books that there is a greater multiverse out there and this is one way to show that that's in fact true Uh, to show that the domain of Ravenloft exists within the multiverse and that other characters from other worlds can be pulled into it. Uh, And so you can interact with a character from the world of Greyhawk in Ravenloft, and that's perfectly cool for D&D.
0: Cool. So uh, one of the things that is notable for this is that it's the first, uh, I guess, non-core-ish product. Uh, or adventure, anyway, that has been done in house instead of with the studio. Could you talk a little bit about that decision?
4: Uh, sure, I can. Um, part of it was that uh, there are people in this building who have a very strong passion for uh, the original Ravenloft. It's um, particularly Jeremy Crawford and I have a special fondness for the adventure. So, uh, our schedules permitting. We were always keen on kind of tackling this ourselves, and when we hit upon the idea of bringing, of involving Tracy and Laura Hickman in this revamp, <laughs> um, <laughs> we we knew that that would best be done if it were an in-house project. So as soon as the Hickmans were on board, we were pretty cemented in doing it in-house.
0: So what was the role of the Hickmans then involved in this? Are they giving some credit because they looked it over and some of their original work appears? Or did they were they more involved throughout the
4: process? So they were involved throughout the the concepting of the product and the story uh, that we were trying to tell. Uh, so we basically uh, tapped into their brains to learn more about the character of Strahd to explore things that Tracy had done with the adventure over his thirty-plus years of running it, and uh, also just to see uh, if there were, uh, you know, we basically one of the questions we asked them was, you know, the original adventure was thirty-two pages. You know, if you had. 256 pages to, exp- <laughs> to, to actually dedicate to the story. What would you have put in or what would you have liked to see more of? And so we tried to answer those questions together with them and uh, co- uh, collaborate on coming up with ideas. Um, and they, were, they had some very, sometimes it was just sort of a general idea they had. Like, wouldn't it be cool if we learned more about this character, um, the manservant Cyrus Bellevue? And sometimes it was very specific, like Tracy had always this sort of specific image, I think, in his head of a, a windmill in the adventure. And I think that ties back to the old classic James Whale, Frankenstein, um, the, the creepy windmill. was sort of an image that had lodged in his head, and we wanted to realize that in the adventure and turn that into a location you could actually go to. So somebody sure what to do, we just like to see more of this kind of thing. And so uh, we worked with them for a week on developing ideas, uh, getting to the root of Strahd's character, and exploring ways that we could push out the boundaries of the domain and add new stuff that felt important to the story, felt important to the character of Strahd, and also would just be fun for players to discover.
0: Okay, that's cool. So so let's talk a little bit about that that melding of the new and the old. There, are, There are times where um the The text feels like it was lifted straight out of some of the the older versions of ravenloft um and then there are times where where it's obviously completely new and then there's times where it feels like you know the original text but with a few tweaks here and there
4: yes, and that all three of those things exist when the with within the adventure and my goal there as the writer of the product was to Try to blend it as much as possible so that you're never, unless you're really, really familiar with the original adventure, you're never really sure where the original stops and the new stuff begins. Yeah,
0: I mean, there's a few that was a, that was a, yeah, there's a few elements where it's like, oh, there's a character that's new and it's referenced, you know, in maybe in the crypts or whatever of the castles. So, so yeah. as somebody relatively familiar with the, the, event, the original adventure, I, I, I notice that. I'm like, oh, that's cool. It still flows and it, and it works and it feels like that.
4: Um, Exactly. And and that's kind of the thing. One part of that, too, was we knew that there were people like us out there who had run the adventure several times before. So particularly in the uh, material in Castle Ravenloft in the village of Barovia, we added little little changes or little tweaks to Mm -hmm. surprise people so that even if they were really, really familiar with the adventure, there would be something in those sections that they'd never seen before. So some of the crypt inhabitants, like you say, are new uh, they weren't in the original adventure some things expanded a little bit more and uh, some things were just an effort to have a little bit of fun like there's one crypt uh, that uh, you find the bones of King Katsky, uh inside and it says on his epitaph that he was a ruler an inventor and a self-proclaimed time traveler right. that was not in the original adventure we added that and he if you plunder his tomb you can find a powder horn full of gunpowder and a musket uh, which are kind of anachronistic, but within a gothic horror setting, work just fine. Particularly when you think that Ravenloft pulls, you know, it pulls people in from different worlds, and it's sort of a place out of time. Uh, we felt like adding a bit of fun there uh, would be a nice surprise to DMs.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of little elements. As much as it is, it is a classic sort of horror adventure, there's a lot of elements of, of almost silliness and goofiness.
4: Oh yeah, there's another uh, person in the crypt I'm just looking at now, Elsa Falona von Twitterberg, beloved actor. She had many followers. Um, right. Part of that is that if in the original adventure, there was humor. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Tracy and Laura kind of laced the adventure with little bits of humor, particularly in the castle, and that was a deliberate attempt on their part uh, to allow, um, sort of, uh, to break the tension. And... I just I just kind of took that ball or that baton and ran with it.
0: Yeah, and and that's I think fairly common. I I was it was of particular note to me when I saw uh, what is it, Sir Klutz Tripolotsky?
4: Yeah, Sir Klutz Tripolotsky. <laughs> he fell on his own sword. Yeah. Um yeah, that that was that's just a bit more fun on my part. Um <laughs> and uh Uh, he's a phantom warrior that you can actually awaken and he'll follow you around and help you and part of that was my one of the things I like to do in adventures is create bizarre and interesting role-playing opportunities that you might not expect Mm -hmm. and here's one with a a ghost who's been dead with hundreds of years who will actually follow you around and help you Um, uh, I tried to the adventure with all kinds of little weird role-playing opportunities
0: so, for my own curiosity, did you change the, the Strahd that plays the organ near the entrance? Was it always an illusion? Uh, in, actually... In my, in my head, it was an automaton. Yeah.
4: Yes. Originally, it was, a, it was a sort of automaton puppet. Uh, and uh, now it's changed to an illusion. Uh, but the idea of the strad puppet is actually still in the adventure. We just kind of moved it. Uh, there's a hallway... Uh, in the upper levels of the castle where you walk down it and you can trip a trap that causes a puppet strad to fly across the hall on strings um, toward you. Uh, And it's sort of designed to kind of make you think it's the real Strad and to waste your spells. Uh, And uh, so we kept that element. We just moved it to surprise people.
0: Okay, so that was just a, a change to, to throw in a little bit something new and, and keep people on their toes, even if they're familiar. Exactly. Okay.
4: Yeah, we didn't we didn't want to jettison the idea. I didn't want to jettison the idea completely because it's kind of a fun Scooby-Doo moment. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I, I just sort of moved it from one part of the castle to the other uh, so that players who had been through the adventure before might be a little taken aback.
0: Mm-hmm. Very good. So, so- – We've talked a lot about sort of the classic elements and how they've been tweaked and updated and what have you. And obviously, the the mechanics are updated to the fifth edition rules. Um, other than those little tweaks, what's new in this adventure? You mentioned the windmill.
4: Yeah. So um, the the stuff that is uh, sort of uh, uh, updating the classic adventure. It takes up about the same amount of space as the original venture, which is 32 pages, which leaves us 224 pages to fill with new with new stuff. And basically, most of the new stuff is other locations in the realm of Barovia that you can explore or that you are drawn to, either through interacting with NPCs or through various other clues you find. Uh, there's all kinds of pointers to these locations. The windmill is one of them. Uh, That's a place called Old Bone Grinder, and there's some uh, nasty creatures living in there doing some very, very terrible things. And other locations that we created uh, with story to sort of back it up are places. There's a ruined mansion, sort of a gothic mansion you can go to. It's called Argen Vostholt, and it it was a retreat of a silver dragon who lived in human form. Mm-hmm. And he was one of Strahd's enemies. He led an order of paladins to their doom, trying to defend the valley against Strahd, but were wiped out. That, that uh, dragon's mansion, still sort of half-ruined, lying on the mountainside waiting to be discovered, was something we threw into the adventure uh, so that you could run into some of Strahd's old enemies and see what he's done to the people he's, you know, defeated over the years.
0: Plus then you can squeeze a dragon or two into this game called Dungeons & Dragons.
4: Well, there's that too. There is some dragon symbology, but part of it too was in our conversations with Tracy and we were looking at the vampire myths and particularly Dracula, of course, and the whole order of the dragon idea. We wanted Mm -hmm. to take that idea but twist it around and instead of making the vampire associated with the order, it's actually um, a force against the vampire that the vampire has to destroy. Uh, So again, just playing with the classic vampire myths but kind of turning them on their head a bit. Mm
0: -hmm. And we ended up with three villages now, and I think the original had just the one, right?
4: Yeah, that's correct. We expanded it to include, there's technically four, but one of them is in ruins and is basically abandoned, but Mm -hmm. you can go there and there's a a really nasty hag figure who lives there. Uh, But yeah, the other three villages, or sorry, apart from the village of Barovia, there's also the town of uh, Valaki and the village of Kresk. Uh, Some of that had, uh, those things had crept up in earlier uh, Ravenloft lore, We just sort of co-opted them for the adventure. uh, Spiced them up with some interesting NPCs that you can encounter. And uh, there's a whole bunch of subplots that we were able to introduce. And secondary villains, which I think is sort of important because uh, it just shows you more of the corruption that Strahd has caused uh, to everybody he comes into contact with. Uh, You do run into a lot of uh, very unsavory characters who maybe they're not as evil as Strahd, but they're all pretty bad. Um, like uh, I'm thinking of the ab, there's an abbot who lives in an abbey overlooking the village of Kresk. He's pretty messed up. Um, and then there's uh, one of my other favorite villains is Lady Fiona Vactor, who lives in the town of Valaki, and she's she's trying to set up a devil cult basically. Um, and she's actually um, she's pretty creepy. Um, she Her husband died, but she preserves and sleeps with his corpse. Uh, And uh, it just sort of reminds you there's all kinds of flavors of evil in the adventure.
0: Right. Well, and and the the opening of the introduction, I guess, to Barovia sort of gives a lot of explanation as to... um, the how to how to role play the different characters and and the soul versus no soul situation and I didn't I didn't remember seeing that kind of detail about why things are like that uh, in Ravenloft before was that new or was that pulled
4: Yeah, from correct. Yeah. We we added a lot of that stuff new um, because we felt that we are presenting a longer adventure. We do need to give a DM a bit more guidance on how to sustain the the horror elements. And uh, we also recognize that uh, uh, we need to do a bit of work up front to really uh, really give the DM all the ammunition he or she needs to play Strahd as an effective antagonist. And a lot of the stuff that appears in the introduction came directly out of our conversations with Tracy and Laura. Hmm.
0: Yeah, certainly that's, that's, uh, there are elements of that that felt like they were familiar from the Domains of Dread of 2nd edition. Um, but I was mostly focused in my time on Ravenloft specifically, so I wasn't sure if that was pulled from there or if that was something that was in a whole cloth uh, new.
4: Yeah. There are little things that were pulled from Ravenloft campaign setting, like the, the how they track the Barovian calendar and stuff like that. Hmm. Um, and, of course, we did pull other things out of the uh, Ravenloft setting uh, particularly the expanded lore and also even the Ravenloft novels. We tried to inject as much little bits of Ravenloft as we could without it getting totally absurd. But like the character of uh, Dr. Rudolph Van Richten came after the original Ravenloft adventure. Mm-hmm. He was created for a, a later product, but we figured we can't, really tell, we can't really present a vampire story without also including the va- classic vampire hunter archetype. So we pulled him into the story.
0: Well, and Van Richten is a classic for those who followed it through the second edition days, right? With the Van Richten's guides. True, but
4: uh, again, again, uh, we wanted to surprise DMs uh, Mm -hmm. by showing him in a light that they hadn't seen before. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Van Richten you meet here, you might not even recognize at first because he's in disguise. He's trying to keep a low profile, and he's got this feeling like anybody he ever befriends is basically doomed to die, so he's got a very uh, pessimistic and nihilistic view on life. In fact, um, he's sort of set out on a quest of kind of murder and mayhem. Um, it's a much sort of darker character than even we thought he would be when we first injected him into the story. We just wanted to do something a little bit different with him, make him a bit more uh, inconspicuous. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and and he and and so many of the characters have that little – you know, it, it's a, it's playing off of a stereotype, but then with a twist. You know,
4: exactly. Yeah, and it's also allowing us to pull in some other kind of horror tropes. Like when you meet, this is a bit of a spoiler, but when you meet Van Richten, he's basic. He's disguise. He's he's in the disguise of um, an entertainer, basically, mm-hmm. uh, and he tries to maintain that disguise for as long as possible. So it's possible you may never even realize that you're talking to him. Um, the other th- and. Uh, i'm trying to think um it gave us an opportunity too to introduce a strong female character into the story in the form of his protege esmeralda davenir who is a vistani who uh sort of uh, felt sorry for van richten at first and then later realized that his cause is just and so she decided to follow him around learn what it was to be a vampire hunter slash monster killer and has kind of uh picked up that torch and run with it hmm. um but as you might suspect, anybody who hangs around Van Richten for a long time isn't going to be quite right in the head, and she's <laughs> not exactly right in the head either.
0: Sure. Uh, speaking of, of the the other towns and villages, I haven't had a chance quite yet, because this is, we're recording this a couple weeks before I'm doing my full review. Um, but uh, I know with 5th edition there's been a specific effort made towards making D&D very inclusive. And at and first blush I looked through and I noticed that – all of the leaders of the villages were male. Um, could you speak to what elements or it, was there any specific thought towards inclusivity as we worked on, or as you worked on the, the adventure?
4: Oh yes. Um, that, that's a conversation that dominates uh, all of our creative conversations here at Wizards. Um, we're very much big on inclusivity and showing uh, characters of um, that represent all facets of humanity or reflect all facets of humanity. Now you mentioned the, uh, the village leader, the three village leaders are all men. That's true. Uh, We wanted to preserve a sort of a, there's a bit of a history there, um, but these are not villages that are being well tended. Mm. Um, These are not, these are not men to aspire to necessarily. Uh, uh, I think that the strength of a character comes out in a variety of different ways in many respects for instance there's a there's a minor character her name is anna kreskova she is the she's the wife of the burgomaster of kresk but as she is written and portrayed she's actually a stronger character than he is because she's the only one brave enough to leave their village enclave um nobody else will uh, so uh we try to we try to um now, that said, there are certain tropes of vampire lore where the vampire tends to victimize women mm-hmm. um, more than men, and so there are female victims in the story as well, but there are plenty of male victims uh, there are also both female and male villains so uh and 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 uh characters of different ethnic background. One of the things we wrote into this version of the story that hadn't existed previously is the idea that. Strahd conquered many domains before he settled in Barovia and he brought those conquered people to his land to be his servants and they represent a diverse population, uh, an ethnically, ethnically diverse and religiously diverse population. And so you do meet Barovians of every, um, of every color and creed mm-hmm. and uh, they're all damaged and distraught, in, uh, but there are strong characters of every type.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was clear looking through the artwork as well. So um, I remembered seeing a lot more diversity flipping through the, the just flipping through the pages than I remembered seeing in previous versions. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. so speaking of some of the the ethnicities and different groups, I wanted to ask a couple of advice questions. Um, since you know, you're not only the designer of the book, but uh, the acclaimed DM to the stars, right? So I figured if anybody could give some advice on running the adventure, it would be you. You're double qualified. Yeah, in fact,
4: I'm, I'm, running, the, I'm running the adventure right now as uh, part of our, uh, we've got a live stream game every Tuesday called Dice Camera Action and Curse of Strahd is the adventure I'm taking the players through. Mm-hmm. So um, one way, certainly, if you're thinking about running the adventure, uh, you could do worse than to uh, check that out. And see how I'm actually handling the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got I've got four great players, so uh, they're really keeping me on my toes. But yeah. go ahead, ask your ask your advice well, questions. Well,
0: and, and that's part of the trick with it, right? Is that that you could watch that, and it may or may not be specifically helpful because it's a fairly sandboxy adventure. As, mu- as much as it's constricted, like it's a small sandbox. But there's no – it's not like a linear narrative going on here. So, so how do you prepare for and plan for such freedom uh, that, that the players would have in an adventure like this?
4: Well, fortunately, um, at least this domain has something which a lot of campaigns don't, which is uh, defined borders. You can't really the, – the walls of mist basically keep you from going too far off the map. So there's there's that to reassure you that they're not your players won't be able to go too far afield uh, because the villain has sort of control or or putting limits on how far that they can go. So that's reassuring, um, and I think a lot of DMs will take comfort in that. Uh, but because it is a sandbox adventure and the characters do have a lot of free reign to wander around, um, so the adventure provides guidelines for sort of what which areas of Barovia are appropriate challenges for characters of a particular level. That doesn't mean that first-level characters or third-level characters couldn't stray into an eighth-level zone, for instance. Uh, But there's a little bit of advice on helping the DM manage the situation where the characters are in over their heads. I think there, um, uh, my advice is, uh, if you're a DM who feels like you're not... you might have trouble keeping your players under control... One of the things you can do is you can rig the card game, the me- the mechanism that allows that determines where certain important things that the characters need are located. Um that's perfectly kosher uh, to basically uh, plan uh, lay out the cards as you will and guide them to the locations that you want to run. Um, and if they stray too far, then really the trick there is to leverage what's in the setting to kind of push them in the right direction, have have NPCs warn them, oh, you shouldn't go there because this horrible threat will kill you is sort of the DM's way of saying, you're not tall enough to walk (laughs) here yet. Uh, Go somewhere else. Um, Part of it too, though, is is that, and this is more of a general thing, not necessarily specific to the adventure, uh, a DM who... uh, has a lot of experience, at least the most experienced DMs I know, get really good at um, kind of on-the-fly adjusting encounters and deviating from the text whenever necessary to make sure that the the characters, if they don't have a fighting chance, at least have escape routes. Uh, Or if things go horribly, horribly awry, a little bit of uh, clever deus Ex machina to um, sort of save the character's bacon. The Esmeralda character and the Van Richten characters are great because if the characters get in over their heads, one of these two characters could just show up and and help them and maybe turn the tide in their favor. Mm-hmm. And I think there are other things like that in the adventure that the DM can use to get characters out of a tight spot if they're in over their heads. The other thing to keep in mind with this adventure is Strahd is sort of a, he's a mean guy, but he's also a little bit playful at times. and. Mm-hmm. Uh, he could kill the characters easily if he wanted to, but that's not his aim. That's not his goal. And so if the characters look like that they're broken or defeated or in over their head, he wants to make them fail, but not necessarily want to kill them. And so he might give them a bye and send them on their way or, or you know, take his leave before dealing the death blow.
0: He also uh, has a goal of corrupting one of the yes. players, right? So, the, so that right. you, know, you can't yes. corrupt somebody who's dead, right?
4: Exactly, and he doesn't know when when the next group of adventurers will come along. So, if he kills them all off too quickly, where's the fun in that? Mm-hmm.
0: So, one of the the troublesome or difficult parts of Ravenloft for me has always been dealing with the Vistani, right? Because. You kind of need the players to trust them and want to go and see them in order to do the card reading, which determines so much about the game. And at the same time, they're kind of not the good guys of the story either, right? They're not trustworthy and they're not the kind That's of people true. that you want um, to go see.
4: Right. Some of them are and some of them aren't. Um uh, they're a little bit more varied this time out than they have been in mm-hmm. earlier incarnations. You do meet nice, helpful ones. They're not all uniformly bad and not all necessarily on Strahd's side. Esmeralda, case in point. Mm-hmm. Um, so, But if they don't go to Madame Avon and get the card reading, at least in this adventure we built in the mechanism where if they encounter Esmeralda, she can give the card reading. Mm-hmm. And she's a much more benevolent Vistani. Mm-hmm. Um, she, imbo- she embodies really the best that Vistani have to offer. Not only is she full of life, but she actually cares about things um, and has, has a good soul.
0: So you, we've built in a, a few plan Bs with this one just in case they, they believe the exactly. hype about the Vistani. Yep. <laughs> so.
4: I've actually run the adventure in the past where they did avoid the Vistani and they were suspicious of them and did try to murder them. Um, so yeah, you're right. Esmeralda was a plan B based on experience. Uh, to give characters another opportunity to interact with the with the Vistani that wasn't purely negative, and that's just part of breaking down stereotypes.
0: Mm-hmm. Very good. So, so any last thoughts? Any last things? You know, if 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 there's something that you want people to know about this adventure that that I didn't ask about, uh, what do you want them to know?
4: Are you are were you dying to ask me about Morden
0: Well, I sort of hinted at Morden right with the 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 Greyhawk reference and the cameos. Do you want mm-hmm. to talk more about Morden Go
4: ahead. Yeah. So since this is a this is all about spoilers, uh, <laughs> so Morden Kanan does appear in the adventure, and he's actually a meaningful character that you can interact with, and that can either help or hinder you depending on how you treat him. And again, this was an opportunity to uh, acknowledge the greater multiverse, to acknowledge that people do come to Ravenloft from all sorts of all types of corners. Um, but actually, it helps us uh, a lot of what we do in our stories now. Uh, is uh, interconnect is to interconnect things, and uh, so it's possible. Since Morden Kanan has been known to visit other worlds, including you know the including the uh, the kitchen of Ed Greenwood in uh, Canada, um, <laughs> the uh, the idea that if we could introduce him here and maybe plant a seed for some future story.
0: So what you're telling me
4: is and so part.
0: As I say, so what yeah. you're telling us is that the next storyline is
4: uh, Spelljammer. <laughs> <laughs> I will neither confirm nor deny that the next non-FR, the next non-FR story will be Spelljammer. Although I will say I ran a Spelljammer campaign for, I think five years in high school. Um, I really like that setting, and I like a lot of the things in it. Um, uh, but suffice to say, uh, as we as we um, after we escaped from the mists of Barovia and uh, we start to explore other stories. I think we 'll just see a lot of a lot of interconnectivity and going back to stories that have happened before and, and teasing ahead i 've always said to people that the secret of uh, all the stories we 're going to tell in fifth edition are contained within the three core rule books that 's not really a lie
0: hmm. so so within the the larger narrative of the Watsi adventures, um the characters might be entering Barovia from their realms, but might be leaving to some other place.
4: That is a distinct possibility. Okay, okay. We leave that we leave that complete, we leave that completely open. Um, DMS can do with that what they will, mm-hmm. and we'll do with it what we and we will do with it what we will.
0: <laughs> <laughs> very good, very good. Well, we look forward to seeing what you do do with it. I said do do. Ah. All right. (laughs) I teach middle schoolers. Sorry. (laughs) But we do look forward to seeing what comes next. Uh, And thank you for joining us. And maybe when that next thing comes along, we'll have a chance to chit chat again.
4: All right. Absolutely. Good fortune to you, sir.
0: Oh, I see what you did there. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the end of the episode.
3: Uh, We would like to say thank you to Chris Perkins for coming on and doing the interview. To Sam Dillon and David Gibson. Uh, Sam, where can people find you? I know you're our editor, but go ahead.
1: <laughs> uh, you can find me on Twitter at DM samuel or my not-updated-in-a-long-time blog, RPG Musings. Cool.
3: And David, where can people find you?
2: Um, my blog and webcomic, 5-Minute Workday at 5MWD.com. I'm on Twitter at, at d and Jester. And I do some stuff on the DM's Guild. Coincidentally, I did some stuff for Ravenloft, Moth, Heroes of the Mists, and Children of the Night with Heroes Mists rapidly approaching gold seller, and I'm excited for that. So.
3: Sweet. Good job. Awesome. And we'd also say, like to say thank you to all of you for supporting the show by shopping from our affiliate links when you use Amazon or DMs Guild.
0: And if you want to get a hold of us, you can email thetomeshow at gmail.com. That's thetomeshow, one word, at gmail.com, or call the biz line at 919-BIZ-TOME. That's 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E.
3: And that's episode two hundred and sixty-four, where we went for a stroll in the woods and ended up in Barovia. In this episode of
2: Gato
3: I'm walk.